0: Welcome to the Raptor show on the Sportsnet radio network and Sportsnet 360 presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Please rate, review our show. I am your host, Blake Murphy. Today, a uh, little bit of a, a change in plans a lot over the last week or so, of course, All of your New Year's weekends were interrupted by the news that the Toronto Raptors had traded OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, and Malachi Flynn to the New York Knicks for Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, and a 2024 second-round draft pick that originally belonged to the Detroit Pistons, so that'll be in the early 30s. We had an emergency version of the show on Saturday. Will Lou joined me from Montreal for a little bit of that. And then we rolled right into, hey, New Year's Day, 10 a.m., Get the OVO Athletic Center. Emmanuel Quickly introduced. RJ Barrett introduced. A lot of fun. And then that rolled into last night's game where the Toronto Raptors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 124-121. It was the debut of Barrett and Quickly who both started. So obviously we have uh, a lot to get to today. Michael Grange is going to join us a little bit later to you know, get into some of the background on the reporting, maybe what comes next for this Toronto Raptors team. Fred Katz of The Athletic, whose podcast, the Katz and Shoot podcast, uh, I joined a little earlier today. We'll get the Knicks perspective of this trade, see how OG Ananobi fits there, get to know Barrett and quickly a little bit better. And for this first segment, and then again in the fourth segment, uh, live from Montreal because his flight was canceled, it is the regular host of the show, my co-host, William Liu, who joins us now. Bonjour, Will. Comment ça va? Uh, ça va
1: bien, ça va bien. That's about as much French as I can say. That's all uh, I've got, too. I've had a lot of these interactions here the last couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, appreciate you, Blake. Thank you for holding it down. Uh, no thank you to Porter Airlines for canceling a flight last second, uh, which completely derailed my day. But, you know, we're here. We're here through the magic of Zoom, and uh, we have... I mean it was a pretty exciting game. Raptors winning 124, 121 last night. Um Blake, I, I wanted to know from you just what was the atmosphere like down there? Because that was a uh, it felt like watching the TV that there was like a real renewed sense of optimism.
0: Yeah, it was it was the best buzz there's been at a at a home game in a little while here. And and we've talked about on the show how in addition to the losing, you know, the particulars of the losing, who they've lost to, the style that they've lost in, um, you know, some of the fan base. I guess frustrations or at least lack of clarity in, in terms of what the plan is here and what the direction is that had started to bleed into games, crowds arriving a little later, certainly crowds that are quieter than we're used to attendance that had been a little below hundred percent for the first time in a long time. Uh, it was a lot of fun yesterday it wasn't you know it's still a holiday game so you didn't have the like hey everyone's there at 6 30 in their seats but by the time there was tip off there's a good crowd rj barrett got a really nice ovation uh, when he was introduced with the starters and then yeah to close that game out that game was uh, very very close and the crowd was into it every little bit i would say you'd Maybe I'm missing one, but I think you'd have to go back to the early blowout of Milwaukee and maybe even the opener against Minnesota that came down to the wire for the last time the Scotiabank Arena crowd was that strong. Um, Will, I'm sorry that uh, that Porter did that to you. Craig Porter Jr. goes 0 for 2 in 6 minutes and cancels your flight with a, a minus 11 there. Do we have all three Porter Juniors in one game? Yes, but, uh, well, I guess okay. Jonte is not a junior. Oh, he's not a junior. Right, right, okay. Yeah, and he didn't play. An auto didn't play. We actually we also missed out. The Raptors have a, a very rare thing in the NBA right now. They have three lefties on the team now with Thad, Jonte, mm-hmm. and R.J. Barrett. Um, look, obviously, there's a, a lot to get into here. Well, I can cover off the the you know energy aspect of it. And again, I think it was really strong. R.J. certainly appreciated it. He was pretty you know not emotional because R.J. doesn't. He's not really like an emotionally expressive guy after game. But it clearly meant a lot for him, especially to hit those couple free throws. Uh, late. What what did you make of this one? I I know you obviously weren't there, but we cover a lot of games remotely anyway. Uh, What were your initial takes before we get into some of the specifics?
1: Yeah, I thought the, I mean, the Raptors looked really good. Um, They were in control pretty much the entire way. Uh, The Cavaliers make a bunch of difficult shots and the Raptors miss like six or seven wide open, open threes and, and a bunch of free throws as well in the fourth quarter. And that allowed them to briefly take the lead, but I thought for the most part yeah the Raptors had control for a large part of the game. It's great to see them score 41 points in the first quarter. Um you have a lot of curiosity obviously over uh, RJ Barrett's debut, Emmanuel Quickley's debut. They both enter the starting five. How are they going to look? And I think my biggest takeaway after watching it about for like a few minutes was just like wow the Raptors actually have multiple like offensive initiators. You know, like the offense doesn't just like stop and stagnate and have to reset all the time. Um you know, it felt like we had four players in the starting group that could initiate offense. Obviously, Scotty's still running a fair bit of point for that group, which is nice. Emmanuel quickly is able to play off the ball, which was nice. Hit two threes in the first quarter. Uh, RJ Barrett, I think there's still some thought as to like what his role is going to be. I mm-hmm. thought he was fairly aggressive yesterday, initiated a lot of offense. We'll see if that's the case going forward. I mean, he is definitely a player who is pretty involved offensively. He's always had a high usage rate. And then Pascal's Pascal, who was the Raptors' best player last night and and knocked down three threes in the first quarter. So it, it got off to a great start, and I think that it just kind of propelled them forward. It felt like the second unit, when Darko was able to make some adjustments, they had other players who can handle the ball and create. And I just feel like, you know, it's been a while since the Raptors have had so many ball handlers. And it's not even so many. It's just like they've now reached like a league average amount of ball handlers. <laughs> we were just in deficit for quite a while. So uh, it, it was a nice change of pace. What What did you see from the starting five?
0: Yeah, and I, I'm with you, man. I, I think that not only starting four guys who you can run through a little bit. And, and RJ hasn't run like very much lead guard at all in New York. But, you know, he's a guy who two years ago averaged three assists a game. Like he obviously has that secondary Playmaking in his package and can create for himself one on one when given enough space. Now, we'll talk more about how to make that a more efficient version of what RJ's done in, in New York. And we saw little bits of uh, a lot of good and, and little bits of what has uh, rubbed Knicks fans uh, wrong last night that, that we can get into. But in terms of starting lineup, I thought it made sense. You know, you mentioned how the bench looks. We've talked a lot even before this trade about what it could look like with Dennis Schroeder coming off of the bench and how those bench units can just get organized a little better that way. Someone to feed Gary Trent in his spots rather than ask Gary to create those advantages himself. And the benefit of having four guys who can handle a little bit or create a little bit in the starting lineup means that Dennis is never going to be asked to do it alone either, right? Like you're going to stagger those. So one, maybe even two of those guys are on the court. I just think when we talk about what a bench lineup looks like, the way the raptors are now structured is i think you could consider five players on this team instead of maybe three players on this team guys who you have to con- who you can consider well they can share the creation of the offense and that's not a knock on og ananobi who is a tremendous player and at this stage better than either of the players that the raptors got back big picture but that's not his game and so what i thought from the starting five and the rotation overall is that things just made a little bit more sense offensively um And in terms of that starting five, it was the one kind of question mark heading into this one. And Darko even said pregame when we asked him, like, don't read into it, uh, whatever I end up starting with. So I don't know if that was him just being, you know, a little Nick Nurse style cheeky, if they actually hadn't decided what to do yet. Um, But I think that that is the starting five that I anticipated eventually. I think, you know, R.J. Barrett versus Gary Trent in that spot. You know, Barrett's a better player. You could make an argument for the extra spacing, whatever. But it was really important to me that, you know, by the maybe third game of this, Emmanuel quickly was starting because quickly's fit with Barnes and Siakam is probably, and especially Barnes, is probably the most important thing we're going to be getting a look at over over the remaining course of the season. Uh, So I was glad to to see it out of the gate here. Will, before you saw the starting five, was this your uh, preferred five? Is, Is this the five you were hoping they would eventually get to?
1: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I think that first off, Dennis has looked really comfortable coming off the bench, mm-hmm. and I thought yesterday he picked his spots really well, uh, made very few mistakes, had eight assists against one turnover, and even the shots that he took, I mean, the only four shots he he missed were like wide open catches, shoot threes. We know that that's going to be an inconsistent thing for him, and Basically, outside of Pascal, nobody really shot the three that well, which is a rare thing to say. Uh, But he's been able to get downhill, and I thought yesterday he did the best job of getting into the paint and then making the right reads to pass out of those. Um, But, yeah, in terms of the starting five, I wanted to see RJ and Emmanuel in there immediately. Like, I I think that um, I like that decision by Darko. I think that, you know... Again, having four playmakers in the starting five, along with Jakob who can then mostly focus on screening and rolling and, and making a couple extra passes. By the way, I don't know why the Cavs double-teamed Jakob Pertl so many times in the post yesterday. Uh, it did lead to some really nice dimes for Jakob, which is another thing he can do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just felt more like You know, the Raptors were able to run closer to, I suppose, 0.5 offense, which is sort of what Darko uh, pitched coming into this team. I don't think he had the tools necessarily to run that style of offense with the the previous roster makeup, and I don't think they have the perfect tools right now um, either, but I think they're closer towards that goal, and it was great to see, like, just how dynamic immediately those two guys were. Um, You know, we're not talking about, like, the biggest games in the world, like, had 19, you know, quickly had 14. Like, that's close-ish to what their averages are on the season. So these are closer to, supposed suppose, average games uh, than, like, exceptional ones. But you could tell, definitely tell that there was an immediate amount of comfort uh, for quickly. I, I like the idea that he's able to play on the catch, uh, play off the ball. Um, there's obviously going to be lots of opportunities. We're going to play more and more on the ball. But especially given that that was his debut and that it was a game where he only basically had a walkthrough with the team, uh, shoot around with the team. Like, you know, I'm, I can't expect him to have the ball all the time and make all the decisions in the world. You got to come in and actually learn and, and, and get the sense of how the rest of the team is like to play. But him playing off the ball is an immediate thing that you, you, you can notice because and the Raptors obviously play a lot out of the post, whether that's through Scotty, whether that's through Pascal, even sometimes Yaka will get it at the high elbow and stuff like that. You're going to need guys to be able to cut and move off ball. And I thought quickly did a great job of just relocating himself, getting himself open opportunities. And when the passes came to him, I thought he was quite decisive, whether he was going to immediately, you know, one, two, hop into that three, uh, or he was going to uh, try to put it on the deck and, and get a touch in the paint. And I think that that level of like, quick firing decision-making is something that we haven't necessarily seen since, like, Norman Powell was here, for example. Mm -hmm. I think Norm was obviously great at that. Now, Norm does it differently where Norm's able to explode and get all the way to the basket for layups. It seems like Quickly loves to go to the floaters, uh, especially with his right hand, and so he's not getting all the way to the paint. And we did see him miss two of those late in the game. But generally speaking, you need a guy who can play on the catch. And I think that that's something where – You know, the Raptors wanted to see more and more out of that from OG. OG can definitely catch and shoot from three. uh, But then when he was asked to put it on the deck, it was was less dynamic than a guy like quickly. So I, I thought he came in and fit well. The only thing that was unfortunate was the foul trouble which, um, yeah, I mean, he had, like, four fouls. And what was disappointing watching the film back was he picked up two fouls in the first quarter, whatever that'll happen. But when he came in the second quarter, within four seconds of checking in, he was pressing, I think, uh, Craig Porter Jr., uh, uh, just bring the ball up, and he committed his third foul just trying to bump uh, the ball handler coming across half court. Like, that's a needless foul that you don't need to give up because now all of a sudden you're in three fouls. And then you get one more play defensively, which was to try to help against Donovan Mitchell. He gets four fouls in the first half, and that completely threw up the rest of his game. But thought quickly was nice. Um, wanted to hear your thoughts on what you saw out of Emmanuel quickly, both in this game and also his fit long term with this uh, with this at least starting five.
0: Yeah, the the foul stuff I'm willing to chalk up to it's your first game. You were maybe a little geeked up, and you were trying to do a little bit too much. I agree that they weren't great fouls in the big picture, even if they're understandable, he has, um, you know, this year and last, at least been a pretty low foul guy. So I don't think that this is something to you worry about or, or that's a part of him. I think that's probably mostly, um, you know, Hey, it's my first day and I don't know all the offensive sets. How am I going to make an impact? Let me get into Donovan Mitchell's Jersey. Let me try to pick on the backup point guard and stuff. Um, you know, offensively, there's a lot to be excited about here we had talked about quickly leading up to this trade. We didn't realize the trade was going to happen this early, but he was one of the guys that I had identified in that piece that I did of, hey, who's who are some guys around the league that you could try to buy on before they take that leap? And I like quickly because... The reason he hasn't taken that step yet in New York really doesn't have anything to do with Emmanuel quickly it has everything to do with the fact that they have an all-star point guard ahead of him in Jalen Brunson. And both of those guys are a little undersized. So a defense first traditionalist coach like Tom Thibodeau is just not going to play those two guys together very much. Um, we've seen quickly on a per 36 minute basis produce really well. When Jalen Brunson has been out produced really well. Now within that I think there are going to be some adjustments here for Emmanuel quickly. The first one of those is, you know, had he not been in foul trouble last night, you're probably going from 24 minutes a game up to maybe 34 minutes a game. How do you manage yourself around that? How do you stay out of foul trouble? How do you maintain your energy and things like that? That's a challenge for any young player taking on a bigger role. Um, And in talking to him at shoot around, one of the things he is focused on or at least, you know, uh, aware of, in Toronto is, in New York, the style that they play and especially the way their bench units are structured, he was technically the point guard, but he played like a scoring guard. Like, they needed him to shoot the three a lot off the dribble. They needed him to get into that floater package. And something he sounded excited to get to do more of is be more of a creator. And we saw some good creativity in the passing, whether that be, you know, the pocket passes to Jakob finding a, a lane over top instead of through the pocket, even some more aggressive, um, you know, those kind of jump passes to the second side when the defense thinks you're going to the roll, man. Um, there's a lot of potential there. Now, it's going to take a little bit of time. He's going to have to build up to that, build the familiarity with people. We saw a couple times, whether it was him or RJ, you know, when the first action in a Raptor set broke down, you know, guys are kind of on top of each other. There was one play where I think it was, and and this was actually more on Gary than Quickly, I think, but Scotty, Gary, and, um, and Quickly all ended up in the same spot basically in the high corner on on one side of the floor and nobody knew who was screening for whom and, and it, it mm-hmm. kind of devolved that way. Um, but I, I really like the fit. Like I said, we identified it as someone who could be a fit alongside Barnes a couple weeks ago. Nothing to suggest that that won't be the case here. Um, I think probably the one thing I'm looking out for well, other than, you know, can he expand the playmaking? And he's not going to be a true point guard in Toronto either. He might run point in some bench units and stuff, but he's going to have Dennis on the floor with him in those bench units. He's going to have Scotty on the floor with him and probably Pascal on the floor with him in those starting groups. He can be a kind of co-point guard um, and, yeah. you know, maybe the assist bump up to four and a half. You're not asking him to be like an eight, nine assist guy with the way the Raptors are structured. Um, from a scoring perspective, the biggest thing I'm curious about is that float range stuff. I I'm a fan of it. I like it. Like, Etwan Moore was, like, my guy um, for for having that in the bag. And I think it, like, it speaks to your ability to manipulate speed and manipulate space if you have that in your game. But Emmanuel, quickly, the one probably concern you have when it comes to taking what he does and scaling it to a larger offensive role is he doesn't get to the rim a lot. And he's an okay finisher there when he does get there, but he picks his spots really selectively. So, for me, you know, the pick and rolls are going to have him run. He wants to find Jakob Purtle. He wants to find a, a weak side shooter. Um, and then he can get into that floater range game. But if you're going to be a lead guard in the NBA, you're going to have to find a way to pressure the rim a little bit more than he does right now. And I think that's probably the one skill development that I, I have my eye on most closely is can you start getting to the rim a little bit more? Can you – can you you know, a defense is going to give you the floater range stuff to keep you away from the rim can you say ah you know what i'm i'm getting there anyway and i'm going to finish through it that that's probably my biggest question mark with him in terms of hey what is what is the difference between quickly being a starting point guard in the nba and you know a borderline star level point guard in the nba eventually does that if that makes sense
1: yeah and i think you know this is why I don't necessarily like the comp of, like, you know, some people made the jump of, like, another Kentucky point guard, you know, Tyrese Maxey. Yeah. You know, can can he be, like, another Tyrese Maxey? I think that's the key difference. Maxey is able to get downhill with this, like, ridiculous amount of pace, and he has this, like, incredible touch on the little floaters, which he hit, like, at a 105% clip against the Raptors. (laughs) Uh, It feels like every time the Raptors play them. Quickly doesn't have that as much. Quickly is going to, you know, he'll shoot longer floaters, for example. We saw a couple of those where it was, like, literally from the elbow. Um, and yeah, I would love to see him sort of like almost have a change of speed at, at certain times or even just keep the dribble alive. Like, look, listen, like you, the floater is obviously there for you, especially when you're that quick and you're that um long. He's got such long arms that he can get to that shot a lot. But can you keep the dribble alive? Can you probe like, into the paint, drag defenders out of position and then create more opportunities? Um, That will be a curiosity of mine. Um, But I mean, honestly, quickly was not even the biggest debut. I thought RJ's debut mm-hmm. was even more noticeable impactful I think RJ was more involved obviously played more minutes because he wasn't as much in foul trouble until the end of the game but um yeah I mean I, I love the fact that we have a player who is super aggressive offensively and um you know there are going to be nights when you take this approach that RJ took uh where he is mostly burrowing into the lane and trying to create opportunities to get to that left hand which he's obviously great at but what that leads to is a lot of foul shots and he shot eight last night including two clutch ones at the end there but i it feels like he can get to his own shot uh, a lot more than let's for example compare to to OG i don't want to always make a comparison to OG but you know it is a direct sort of positional comparison um, I, I liked RJ's uh, shot creation and his his aggression last night. What did you see from RJ in his debut?
0: Yeah, I, I like that element of it. Certainly in transition, he has a real nose for getting to the paint. And there were a couple times where he sized up, whether it was Dean Wade or, or Georgie Yang, and, and was just like, like right away, like this is where I'm going. I've got this mismatch, mm-hmm. and neither of these guys are going to be able to you know, stop me without fouling me because I'm strong and because I, I'm, you know, pretty good with a head of steam in transition. And then I thought a couple times the Raptors put him in bad positions where he got kind of those four or five seconds left on the clock grenade passes where, you know, there were, I think there were two where he was in the short corner. He gets the ball with like four or five seconds left, has to quickly create in the post. And I think on one of those, he got to the free throw line. And on another, he missed but got his own rebound. So even just having someone else on the floor who can late in the clock, create something out of nothing when normally, you know, obviously no offense wants to get down to four seconds on the clock and you make a pass and it's a, you know, a ticking time bomb, but he can do a little bit out of those. Having said that, you know, 12 field goal attempts is one thing, but when you include the trips to the line, when you include that he had five turnovers, this was 19 points on 20 use possessions. So he's going to have mm-hmm. to be a little bit careful. And this is one of the concerns with him in New York, was that, yeah, he can get his 20 points a game. He, he's been a 20-point-a-game scorer. He's a decent rebounder. He can add some assists and things like that. But he's never scored at the 20-point-a-game level with efficiency. And that was true even in his seasons where he shot the three better, which he hasn't the last two years. Now, you can... I think Jamma Malalela is probably going to get to work with him on some stuff with the three-point shot. Um, we, You generally don't see a lot of to, retooling of a three-point shot live in the season unless someone's really struggling. So, you know, let's assume that's going to be kind of a low to mid-30s weapon for now. He can still be more efficient by, you know, A, not forcing it as much in kind of earlier clock one-on-one scenarios. I think maybe that was a product of the system in New York where there's so much iso ball that you kind of got to, kind of identify your one-on-one situations and go. Um, but we saw in transition a couple times too where um, there can be a little bit of tunnel vision. Um, it's maybe not the best decision-making. There was a four on two situation late where he tried to make just too risky a pass and it ended as a turnover um, five turnovers, is five turnovers. I-, I think some of that is going to be, Hey, your comfort level, your familiarity and things like that. But there is room here for RJ to become, maybe it's, it's, not as high usage as he was in New York. Maybe it's not as high point per game, but there is definitely room for RJ to just kind of prune his shot mix and w- how he gets his offense and be a more efficient version of himself without changing all that much.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, RJ watching yesterday reminded me a, a little bit of like what it felt like to watch a younger version of Demar Marta Rosen where it's like you really appreciate that this guard um, has an ability to get to his own shot, has an ability to, to get downhill, is fearless around the basket, routinely finishes a- around bigger players, but then also struggles with the idea of like, because I'm so aggressive, because that's such a big part of my game, you often fall over the other side of being over aggressive and taking bad shots. Like, even the six baskets that he made, they're all, like, fairly contested shots. Even the catch-and-shoot three was contested. He had back-to-back plays where he scored one on two in transition. That's, by the definition, uh, a contested shot. His first basket as a Raptor was on a cut. He's under the basket, and Jared Allen's right over the top of him. And he found a way to get around Jared Allen to score, which was really nice to see. But, you know, I, I think that... That aspect of his game, it's always going to be a tricky balance to sort of get into. I think what DeMar was able to do was add more pace to his game. Most importantly, add playmaking to his game. Because when you are that aggressive, you are almost always drawing help. And that's where other guys are going to be open. So I'm looking to see if that aspect catches up with him. That's what the turnover is. Like, I'm not even... I think that's part of the, like, the... <laughs> You know He had basically five forms of driving and traffic type of turnovers, uh, whether that was a charge, whether that was driving into a lane and getting the ball ripped out of his hands, whether that was seeing a, a, a crowd and jumping and passing and getting picked off by Donovan Mitchell, like uh, or lifting a pivot foot on a drive like it, it's all kind of the same idea. But I think that that's that's actually OK with me to the extent that, like, I want to see him play more and more uh, in this aggressive fashion, just being able to trim down some of the errors and some of the mistakes. I don't mind the fact that he can run more pick and rolls too. I think that was the first play that he was able to set up quickly for one was off a of pick and roll. It would be nice to see just more pick and roll actions in the Raptors offense in general. That was something that's been kind of absent for the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately a guy who can get his own shot, especially for a Raptors offense that isn't necessarily that good, to be honest, uh, is, is a welcome thing. So it's about finding the right balance for him. I guess the last thing, like, I wanted to ask you about was just, like, what did you make of Darko's decision to use Scotty as the the main on-ball defender against Donovan Mitchell? Because you trade OG, all of a sudden you now have to think about who's going to be your huge primary stopper each game. And this one he chose to go with Scotty.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough thing. And we saw it in the last Cavs game, too, and talked about it a lot where... OG was obviously on Donovan Mitchell and, and turning that off for Mitchell but Garland was available in that game and Scotty stayed on Garland instead of making the swap with Pascal and we talked about that a bunch uh, after that game. So I get it. It's a tough decision because Scotty is probably the best individual defender in your rotation right now. Um you know, maybe maybe quickly, quickly is generally a, a pretty good defender but some of the on like he's a he's a very good off-ball and like system defender. Point of attack. The the reviews of him aren't quite as strong, so um, I think eventually, quickly, he's going to have to be that guy and has the potential to be that guy. But right now, Darko's looking at well, Scotty Barnes is probably my best individual defender, and Scotty Barnes is my best like help side slash create chaos free safety out of the corner defender. So where is the most important place to deploy that? Um, I personally would probably prefer Scotty in the lower half of the floor. Being able to come across for those blocks, be a huge factor on the defensive glass, and and he pushes so well off of those makes. I just I really like the defensive role that Scotty's been in this season. Um, but I get it because you don't like the defense has slid even with Scotty being good in that role and OG being who OG is defensively last four or five weeks aside maybe for OG's individual defense. Um, you know, even with that, the defense has been really bad. So um, I get wanting to to try something a little different there. I think probably medium term, you'd like Scotty to be back in the role that he was in before. And either, you know, RJ takes a step defensively or quickly shows you he can do it against lead point of attack guards or even, you know, Pascal, you just use on the perimeter a little bit more where he's a little bit better perimeter than he is kind of lower third defender. Uh, what did you make of it? Obviously, like, this defense was bad before and they just lost their best defender. There's going to be a a lot to make up here.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think Darko has like a perfect answer here because you know, all the reasons you just listed. I just think that like the Raptors in general for me, like their help defense is you don't feel the impact of the help defense as much. You know what I mean? Like Raptors not a team that takes a bunch of charges, not a team that comes over and blocks your shot a ton. Um, Maybe they get in the passing lanes, but that almost sometimes feels like bad passes or even gambles at times. Um, but the Raptors aren't consistently solid in the way that, like, even the Cavs just there, I thought, did a really good job of protecting the paint, helping each other, stepping in for charges, um, and trying to protect the rim. The Raptors just had more offensive weapons to to overwhelm them, which is nice, actually. That's a nice change because of this trade. Um, and I think that, yeah, Scotty has been, you know, I one or two with along with Jakob as your best help defender, if not better than him, in terms of just like the steals and the blocks. So, yeah, I would try someone else on that in that role more often, to be honest. Um, again, it depends obviously on the opposing team. If they have like a dominant guard, I probably go with more quickly. Um, and if they have like a more dominant wing, I try RJ a little bit more just because I think that, like, yeah, Scotty as a help defender is better than him as an on ball defender. And so, I'd rather use him in the best way to use him. And to sacrifice someone else, um, in in that role. But yeah, I mean, look, the, I mean, <laughs> you're gonna have you're gonna have, uh, actual issues when you when you lose OG. Like it was a, a great luxury to have of just being like, yep, yeah, all right, this guy's a top player. We're gonna throw him on there, you know. So, um, that's gonna be a work in progress. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think offensively you do see an upgrade at least.
0: And even just having just two guys for, for one guy, right? Like. Like, I know Precious yeah. and, and Malachi were in that trade as well, but they'd fallen out of the rotation. Like, you turned OG into two starters, basically. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. uh, that's obviously yeah. going to feel a little better offensively in the way uh, the rotations work. Speaking of rotations, Will, we're going to let you go to bring in Michael Grange, and then we're going to come back to you uh, around 3.30 here. So, uh, I don't know, go get a croissant or something like that, and uh, we'll talk to you in about an hour, man. Salut, mon frere. All right. All right. Uh, that was William Liu, my co-host on the Raptors show, uh, Alex Wong, out today as well. We'll talk to Will again later in the show. Um, just a little tough to do multiple people on Zoom at once. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Michael Grange, Sportsnet insider. Uh, we'll get a little behind the scenes of how this deal came to be. You know, in talking to some people yesterday, myself, seemed like really the, the, skeleton of this deal or, or the framework of some OG to the Knicks deal has really been going on for like two years, like like back to the start of last season, maybe even the off season before. So uh, these things, this is the way it works uh, a lot of the time. And you'll hear this again over the next five weeks before the February 8th trade deadline is that uh, yeah, teams have conversations and they have maybe rough ideas of what could work. And then something just has to nudge you over the line to get it done. In this case for the Knicks, um, I mean, Emmanuel Quickly is a really good trade asset, and if they wanted to shop that around at the deadline, he was probably one of the best prospect-style guys that would be available. Um, The Knicks needed center help right now in terms of even though Precious, the only played nine minutes yesterday and and been in and out of the Raptors rotation. um, You know, they needed some help there as well in addition to now they've got 50 games to get OG up to speed uh, we're going to take a break we'll find out a little bit more about how this all came to be and how much this means to rj barrett uh, michael grange joins the raptor show as we continue on the sports radio network
1: fresh views on everything in the national football league it's the fan Checkdown with matt marchese and donovan bennett subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or
2: wherever you get your podcasts
0: Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host for today, Blake Murphy. William Liu was with us last segment. He'll join us again a little later in the program. Lots to talk about, of course, the Toronto Raptors starting 2024 off 1-0. With a 124-121 victory last night against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was the Raptors debut of Emmanuel Quickly. It was the Raptors debut of R.J. Barrett. Joining us now to help us break down the trade and those debuts is Michael Grange, insider at Sportsnet. Grange, how you doing, man? How are you doing? Happy New Year, Blake. Happy New Year to you as well. So did see you twice yesterday. I, I had that pleasure uh, as well. Down. Nice early New yeah, Year's just Day. Like publicly, it
3: needs to be known. Yeah. That I'm you. Happy New Year. We
0: had a, a nice New Year's Day 10 a.m. call time for OVO Athletic Center, uh, which let, let's start up here. Alex Wong is not in today, but he did have a conspiracy theory and wanted me to run it by you. Um, Masai Ujiri makes this trade on December 30th so that we all had to work New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. You buy
3: it? Um, I think, yeah, Alex laid that on me the other day. I would counter and say it's more likely he did it to kind of make that whole Detroit thing sort of disappear in the fog of war, so to speak. Um, I don't think he was actively, to the extent there may have been an exp- a conspiracy, I don't think he was actively trying to ruin anyone's, I mean, I was going to work New Year's Day anyway, so on a personal level, I don't think he, it was an issue, but um but no, I think I think maybe you know, like if you were going to do that trade, getting it done uh, the Friday before you're about to go to Detroit and play them on the second night of a back-to-back and third night and four and you know that that one that one might uh, stand might hold water a little better maybe
0: yeah I think so and the make us all work one it's it's funny but then you realize he would have had to make all his employees work as well because people had to do physicals and and things like that uh maybe it wouldn't have been all that popular so before we talk about last night let's quickly touch on the Detroit game because we obviously haven't had a show since then I I did the emergency show on Saturday but we didn't really talk about the Pistons game because it hadn't happened yet um and then the Raptors lose. they helped Detroit snap the longest losing streak in the history of North American team sports. And you're right. It has been kind of lost in the fog of war. Eh? They got dunked on a lot figuratively and literally um, they were kind of the butt of the joke. The Hornets also haven't won since they last beat the Raptors, by the way. Uh, so there is all of that, but you do turn the page pretty quickly for that. I don't know, 24 hours or so there. Where does that rank for you? Like, like, losing that game to the Pistons. This Raptors franchise has had some low moments. I went down to, I was trapped in a Tampa Bay hotel for Christmas and New Year's a couple of years ago. There have been bad moments, even in recent history for this franchise, but in terms of uh tough game, rock bottom kind of moments, where does that one rank for you?
3: You know, I, to me, maybe just cause I was there and, and uh, you know, the, you know, they actually had the courtside seat for you in Detroit, which is really nice. Hmm. Um, and, not really all that low. Like, I mean, I, I think I think the, the schedule was a factor. You obviously had to factor in the the trade that happened. And you're looking at Detroit and you and if you kind of were paying attention, like they've been trending positively. And now they went and you know, they, they went right back uh, the other way against Houston the other night. But um but I, I kind of looked at that game and and just being having that vantage point, seeing how hard I thought Toronto played, but in particular how hard Detroit played and Look, when Kevin Knox is banging threes and uh, you know, you got Trey Burke coming off the bench for whatever, 16 points in 12 minutes or whatever it was, like it's gonna be a tough night. And and I thought really it was a I'm not copying out. It was a case of uh, you know, I think Detroit got a win they deserved. And in terms of low points for the Raptors, I mean, I don't know, I'm a bigger picture guy. I just I just sort of see more. They got they got bigger issues than that that one loss. So I, I can see why, from a fan's point of view, it might have been you know a little bit added exasperation. But to me, it's just uh, you know it's just one more in the same.
0: Yeah, not not remotely close to the most the Raptor Raptors fans have been made fun of on Twitter or anything like that like we've you, you know you live through back-to-back sweeps to LeBron and uh, the spinning of the ball and the drinking of the wine uh, there, there's a lot um, so I, I'm with you it didn't register a ton uh, and it, you know maybe it's a nice little cherry on the 2023 Sunday the, the way that year went um, but you're right there was not only the schedule but this trade factor because this trade happened um, earlier. This weekend it is OG Ananobi, Precious Achiuwa, and Malachi Flynn headed to the Knicks. RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and Detroit second this year coming back to Toronto. So Grange, we saw them debut last night. Um, we can get into some of the fit at uh, the fit. Um, you know, how, how we saw that play out and, and how we project that playing out. But I wanted to ask first about RJ specifically, because I know, look, a lot of us have gotten to know him over the years through Canada Basketball, but you know the family well. You, you've you had a professional relationship with Rowan for a long time. You've had a professional relationship with RJ since he was pretty young and on the way up. Um, he talked about it a little bit yesterday, got that nice ovation to start the game, hit the clutch free throws to a good ovation, seemed pretty happy after the game. How much do you think this really does mean to him in the, in the Barrett family to play for the Toronto Raptors I,
3: I think it's a good I think they look at it as a great opportunity I, you know I know for a fact they appreciated and really enjoyed the chance to play in New York and you know there's no hard feelings there I mean it you know it was a it was a good relationship and and you know by and large to the extent RJ had challenges there it's you know you're a number three pick and and people always want more but um you know I think um coming here at this stage, is perfect for him. And, and I really think, you know, the city is nice. I think the, the, the fact that you're in a, um, you know, a comfortable environment is nice. I think, um, you know, I think that RJ being the person he is, I think he'll be perfectly able to manage some of the complications I'll say, or, or sort of added, um, you know, demands that maybe get get put on your plate when you're playing at home. But I don't think that's going to be an issue, but I really, and I mean this, I think the biggest single factor is he's going to be playing for Darko Rajakovic versus Tom Thibodeau. And, you know, I don't think, you know, I think RJ understands that playing for Thibodeau was a great opportunity for him his career. I think um, it really introduced him <laughs> to what the NBA is about and what real expectations are and, uh, you know, what kind of performance is expected and very little um, excuses are allowed. And not that RJ was ever looking for those, but I think I think that's a to kind of go into that environment in that city. And people forget the first couple of years in New York were complete chaos as well. So um he's been through a lot in a short, relatively short amount of time as a pro. So I think he arrives as still young. We all know, just 23, but he's ready to kind of um absorb maybe a different environment. And I think, you know, Darko is probably the one of the most opposite coaches in the league to to Tibbs, just in his willingness to embrace people in their whole, you know, the, the the wholesome the the fullness of a person, I guess. And uh that's probably the right time for RJ now. And and I think um it's really interesting. I mean you look at the swing skill for him for sure is going to be a shooting. And I kind of I've kind of known this intuitively Blake and you I'm sure do as well. But you know, RJ's just had this incredible uh trait of, you know, for a month or six weeks, he'll shoot it. Great. And then for maybe six weeks or two months, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, 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 un, I I actually suggest if you go to his, uh, his career splits, you know, year by year and, you know, you know, toss out his rookie year, but his last three years, plus um, these months is the, of this season, uh, you know, I think it adds up to about 22 months. And in those 22 months, he's had like nine or 10 months where for the month, he shot 38% or better. And he's had several months shooting over 40% or better from three. And then there's the other months. And so I think if he can kind of arrive here, I think, you know, to your point, it's, it's a, I think it's a really, really big opportunity for him to both thrive as a player and then if. He can do it here. I think he he has a chance to really become the fabric or become part of the fabric of the organization. And of course, he's already part of basketball in the country. But it, it could be a really neat
0: situation that we haven't seen a Canadian player kind of have the opportunity to embrace yet. Yeah, certainly the potential for him to be the best Canadian Raptor while on the Raptors, you know, like, like the Raptors have had Canadian players and Chris Boucher's had a really nice career here, but primarily as a, you know, a bench piece in and out of the rotation this year, even Uh, Corey Joseph came here while he was still kind of at the peak of his career, but as a backup point guard. So there's, you know, room for RJ to grow here. And now look, RJ's in year five. He's still only 23. I think. Big picture, we have an idea of what RJ's game looks like. And like you said, the three-point shooting can improve. Maybe some of the you know efficiency can improve inside the arc as well, just with decision-making. Maybe he can take a small step as a defender to be a little bit more solid there. But we have a good idea who RJ is. On the Emmanuel Quickly side, this is... I, look, I have a good idea of who I think he can be. I, I really like Emmanuel Quickly as a prospect. Um, was excited to, to see that be a big part of the return. But he's the piece in this deal that is going to see the biggest role change. OG is going to play the same role in New York he played here. RJ is going to play a fairly similar role where you're trying to just get the best version of him. Emmanuel Quickly is going to go from a 23-minute-a-game backup point guard to not running the show because Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam are still going to have the ball a lot, but kind of co-running the show, certainly playing an extra 8, 9, maybe even 10 minutes a game. Uh, where do you see Quickly's fit, and, and where do you see you know, that next level for him needing to come. If he is going to step into, you know, I, I think he's already a starting caliber point guard, but can he be higher than that? Can, can he return on this uh, kind of bet the Raptors are making here that he can reach another level?
3: I mean, I think he can. And and I think for this trade to to really be, I don't want to say a win, but I, I, to, to kind of get the Raptors where they want to go, he's got to be sort of kicking at the door of All-Star, you know, and I think contextually, Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet was a point guard here before that Kyle Lowry was a point guard here and, you know, just sticking with Fred as an example. Well, that's, they know, (laughs) you know, as, as Scotty Barnes has evolved, you know, to have a point guard who can spread the floor from three can play on and off the ball. Like that's a perfect fit along that alongside Scotty Barnes. And so you had one, uh, you, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't stay, and so, you know, it was imperative for them to to replace him with something like that, and to, with a similar type skill set. And I think, um, you know, for, I think Emmanuel Cookley has a chance to be, not, he does have a chance to be, you know, that kind of player. But I think he needs to be that kind of player. And, you know, and, and I think this trade will be looked at as a success because you're giving up an all-NBA recognized talent in in Ananobi, Um so I think this trade will be long-term looked at as a success if uh Emmanuel quickly is under contract. And if the potential that I think they're projecting for him and Scotty Barnes as a pair, uh, is realized over, not only over this year or next year, but over a long period of time, that's, that's the get the, the, the bet the Raptors are making, that's the move that they hope will, this will materialize into, um, and I think, you know, I, I think the. To have a guy, you know, the, the Maxi comparison gets thrown out there and it's, I don't know, it's, it, it, it you know, maybe it's their hair or something. There is a kind of a similarity to the way they play. Uh, he doesn't have exactly the rocket fuel that Maxi has, but, you know, what they do have is the ability to play the game with pace, with the ball, and in a controlled manner get into pull-up deep threes. And that is a skill I think we're going to see see more and more in the NBA as it becomes emphasized with younger players as they train. But, you know, it's it's devastating and, you know, you can see it on film. You saw a few hints of it last night and then that combination with him getting being able to use the threat of that to get into, you know, uh, high consistency, flo- consistency floater game that he has, um, it's, you know, that, that's an impossible uh, combination to guard. And I think for him to really put himself over the top, he's got to prove that he can do it for a lot of minutes under a lot of stress against a lot of good players as a starter. And I think he's got to add that little uh, kind of flavor of playmaking where he can kind of leverage all those threats to uh, create some advantage support some other guys. But make no mistake, I mean, this trade is about uh, having Maxie here. It's about getting him under contract. And it's about, um, he, you know, creating an environment that he can become... You know, you don't want to say he has to be an all-star, but he's gotta be that kind of player, somebody that that is knocking on that door that gets kind of talked about as a potential type all-star player. If he's just kind of an ordinary guard and, you know, well then, you know, it probably wasn't a great use of Ojan and Obi as a trade asset.
0: Yeah. And I look, I think he can he can get there, but we're not gonna see it day one, we're not gonna see it day two. He's gotta kind of keep growing into that. Um, the other thing that could change how we're evaluating this is. The trade deadline's still five weeks away. This is the first trade that's happened in the month of December in the NBA in like forever. They just don't happen this early. At that point, most teams just grind it out to the, to the last minute here. Um, I'm sure this is one the Knicks were kind of like, hey, if we're giving you quickly, we'd like to get this done now. Let us get 50 games with Ananobi. Let, let's move on here. Um, from the Raptors' side, though have you, and I know this is a quick turnaround, so I I understand if you haven't been able to have these conversations yet, but in terms of what this signals to you about what the next five weeks could look like, specifically what February 8th could look like. um, Have you been able to to suss out any kind of ripple from this deal?
3: I mean, I I still think that there's an appetite um, to see if, you know, Pascal Siakam is a, is a long-term fit alongside uh, this new look lineup. And, um, you know, so that I think they're going to be looking for that, but, uh, you know, I still think that they're going to be proceeding on multiple sp- streams and, and if they can find a decent return for Pascal Siakam that, you know, they kind of tip their hands in terms of what they're looking for in terms of young players with upside that, you know, give them some controllable, you know, future contracts. You know, I think that they obviously would, would consider that very seriously. I know they're working on a lot of stuff. Um, so it's not like they did this trade and set up you know, we're good for now. I think it's, you know, I think these conversations are going to be going ongoing for quite a while. But, you know, the, the Pascal situation is, it's it's kind of complicated. Like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of varying points of leverage, you know, as you kind of game theory this out, uh, right out to next summer. And, um, you know, so I think to try and predict exactly where it's going to go and, and, and how each side is going to emerge kind of, Kind of satisfied you know because i think it is a situation where um you know whatever move they make if they do decide to make a trade it's going to be have to be something that's satisfactory to pascal siakam in terms of where he ends up and similarly you know obviously the raptors are going to be looking for something that that complements them so it's um you know the short answer to all of that is, is is i just think it's it's a it's a moving target at all times and but it, it's you know that it, clearly there's a, a lot of momentum that's building towards
0: Um, some kind of resolution between now and February 8th. And not just with him, with some potential other spots on the roster as well. The Raptors uh, do have a couple veterans who, you know, hey, maybe you'd like out of the the contract years or or there's just a market for those guys around the league as these contending teams try to kind of round out their their bench units and things like that. Um, Michael Grange, you are headed out on this six-game West Coast trip? Yes, I'm not going to Memphis, but I'll be
3: there in Sacramento and the rest, yeah.
0: Only have you for a minute or so left here. Um, What are you looking for from this trip, and, you know, do you care so much about the record? Because it's six very, very tough games. Memphis is playing better now. All these teams are really good. Is this more of what you're seeing on the court from this group rather than, hey, they went 4-2 and or 3-3 and against the Lakers and Warriors and company?
3: Well, I, I think they really want to avoid going 0-6, Yeah. and then we look at the schedule. I'm not, I'm not even joking. I mean, and when you look at the schedule when they come back, I think they got a Miami, they got a Boston. They don't play a bad team
0: until February 7th, the day before the trade deadline. Go. And um,
3: and so, uh, yeah, so I think that they want to, yeah, I think they want to just keep breathing. You know what I mean? And and. And I just don't think for anyone's it does anyone any good if they end up really kind of just scraping along here the last the next month and the season gets away from them completely. So yeah, they gotta find a way to be competitive. Hopefully you can steal a couple of wins here. And if I'm looking for a single thing, it would be really good to see, you know, Emmanuel quickly
0: acclimatize in good order and, and kind of flash the potential that everyone thinks he has. It would be uh it would be nice to see get that uh, quickly and Barnes chemistry building a little bit here. Uh Michael Grange. Have a great time uh, on the road trip outside of Wednesday's game. I appreciate you taking the time out today. Thanks, Blake. Michael Grange, uh, Sportsnet insider. You can keep up with uh, the non-Memphis parts of this road trip uh, through Grange. By the way, if you are looking ahead to this road trip, which starts tomorrow, the Raptors play Memphis, Sacramento, Golden State, the Lakers and Clippers on a back-to-back, and then the Jazz um, the Grizzlies obviously don't look great in the standings. They have played much better basketball since getting John Morant back. This is a jazz team that even though, you know, they're not in necessarily win now mode, they're only two games out of a play in spot in a very competitive West. So uh, that is a tough, tough six game slate. We'll see how the Raptors do with that one. Jonte Porter on the trip with the Raptors, by the way, if you were looking for some two way action, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Fred Katz of the athletic to get the Knicks side of this. See how OGN and Obi's. Debut went there. Fred Katz, Cats and Shoot, joins us next as the Wrap the Show continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show. I guess I don't have uh, playback music today. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, will Lou uh, joining us earlier. And again, a little later in the show, we're having a problem that will Lou could never have. Uh, we have no cats right now. We're, we're still waiting on Fred cats of the athletic of the cats and shoot podcast. Will Lou flush with three cats. We're of course, uh, breaking down the Raptors debuts of RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly yesterday. Uh, OG and also debuted for the Knicks yesterday In a nice bit of scheduling, that game took place at 3 p.m., so I was able to watch that. It ended basically right as Darko Ryakovich started his uh, pregame media availability. And OG looked good. I mean, you guys all know OG at this point. Over seven years as a Raptor, um, what he brings to the table was very evident for the Knicks right away. Anthony Edwards, when guarded by OG Ananobi, had a tough time. Had a tough time getting into his spots. Had to pick up his dribble early. Had a clutch turnover that that was forced by well, not clutch, but like with five, six minutes left in the game. Um, you know, OG forced him into picking up the the ball and making a ill-advised swing pass that ended up in a turnover. Um Edwards had a very, very good game, but a lot of that came when Ananobi was off the floor. Uh, OG did foul out with a couple minutes left. The last two of those were I don't know. We'll call them Toronto calls since he's a New York guy now. And surely he's going to get more all defense and defensive player of the year buzz and things like that. uh, Now, he was really good. He he was good defensively. He had 17 points on 7 of 12 shooting, 3 of 6 from threes. We know what he can do from the corners. Uh, Good basket as a cutter. Some plays in transition. Even ran a little bit of pick and roll with Isaiah Hartenstein, which, uh, you know, you're not going to see Ananobi do uh, a ton of. But it was uh, fun nonetheless. He finished that game, which the Knicks won by six, a plus 19 in his 35 minutes. So pretty good debut there for OG Ananobi. Uh, If you were looking to the Raptors side of this, um, a little bit of news or non-news really uh, headed into this uh, road trip. So I mentioned before, it's the start of a six-game road trip. The Raptors leave today. It starts in Memphis tomorrow. Um, Grady Dick is not going to be with the Raptors for this trip. This was the other news item to come out of yesterday. So if you miss it, I'll fill you in. Basically the Raptors over the last couple of weeks have told Grady Dick, don't worry about the games. We are going to kind of, um, you know, get you into a conditioning program that makes you a little more physically capable on the court. Now, what specifically that is, the team isn't going to share with us necessarily, but basically the idea is, hey, don't worry about, are you going to play five, six minutes tonight? Are you going down to the 9.05 tonight? Let's take a couple weeks to get you into a better place when we do put you back into games. Part of that now is that Grady Dick is with the 9.05, so he's not on the road with the Raptors. He'll practice for a couple days here with the 9.05. The 9.05 play Thursday and Saturday in College Park, uh, where... Hey, he'll go up against Kobe Bufkin, who uh, is back from injury now and playing really well in the G League. I know a lot of Raptors fans were interested in him, so that'll be a fun matchup. The 905 then play at home twice next week. So Grady Dick could conceivably get four games with 905 in before the Raptors are back off the road. Um, So that's a, a good little runway there for him to maybe get his feet back under him. The earlier 905 stints have not gone super well, but they actually have point guard play and things like that now. So the situation should be a little bit more you know, plug and play for him. So it'll be really interesting to see how uh, those go. The other note from the, uh, sorry, the other note for this road trip is that a two-way player, Jonathan, geez, I'm having a tough time. Sorry, guys. A two-way player, Jonte Porter, whose name I know very well because I'm working on a big feature on him, uh, is on the road with the team. So this is the first time this year we've seen one of the two-ways go on the road. Uh, Marquise Noel and Javon Freeman-Liberty are staying back with the 905 But Jonte Porter, who could potentially see some mix for center minutes here, uh, is going to be on the road with the Raptors. He's been very, very good for the 905. He had been good in Detroit's G League program earlier in the season before the Raptors signed him. He's someone who can offer a little bit of shooting, a ton of passing from the center position, um, and pretty solid defense as well, at least so far with the 905. So um, when you see Thad Young come into a game last night, when you see them play some of these centerless lineups, I wouldn't mind getting a look at Jonte Porter, at least in, uh, in small minutes. The Knicks got a look at their new backup center yesterday. Precious Achua, who is why there's a Jonte Porter hole in the Raptors rotation. Uh, Let's bring in Fred Katz of The Athletic, host of the Katz and Shoot podcast, which I was a guest on earlier today. Uh, Fred, we haven't talked in
2: hours and hours, man. How you doing? I don't even know if it's been hours and hours. I think it's just been hours. And that's it. I'm great. I'm live in front of a door. I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic.
0: I'm ready to go. Excellent. Uh, that's good. So yesterday was a fun day, obviously a, a bit of a chaotic weekend. OG Ananobi makes his debut for the New York Knicks in a, in a really good win against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, your initial impressions of OG Ananobi and, and how he fit in there for New York.
2: Raptors fans will understand what I mean when I say this. He looked like OG Ananobi. He looked exactly like what you would expect from OG Ananobi. He was fabulous defensively, I thought. His best defensive game that I've seen him play in in a little while. I know like you mentioned on my podcast earlier today, that his defense kind of hadn't been at the level that you would expect it to be at by his standards over the last month, five weeks, whatever it's been. It did not look like that in his first game. You know, they played Minnesota who has been one of the best teams in the league all year. He guarded Anthony Edwards. He guarded Carl Anthony Townsend spots and the dude just looked like an all defense caliber guy. You couldn't back him down. He was getting out in front of guys. He was getting out in transition. He was cutting. He was fantastic in terms of movement. Uh, he said to Jalen Brunson before the game, he walked up to Jalen Brunson on the court before the game. And he said to him, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to keep cutting. And it really looked like that. The second part, not the first part where he really did just keep cutting. This is an offense that historically has not had with the current roster. That they have, they haven't had a ton of cutting. They haven't had a ton of movement. It really looked different on both sides of the ball. And, you know, he goes for 17 points and six boards and, and plays fabulous defense along the way.
0: Yeah, which is, uh, you know, we we knew. We, we knew the book on OGN and OB. Um, when you look at this move from the Knicks perspective, obviously they're giving up two pretty good pieces here in RJ Barrett, who, you know, I know Knicks fans were a little up and down on him. People around the league are up and down on him, but he's a starting caliber player. And you give up Emmanuel quickly, who has the potential to be even more than that, Um, The Knicks kind of do, I know Precious Achua and Malachi Flynn are in the deal and and Precious is probably in the rotation here with their need at center, but kind of a consolidation move in turning two high-end rotation pieces into a starting lineup upgrade in OG Ananobi. How much does this say to you, hey, the Knicks are focused on what this rotation looks like in the playoffs, what a Knicks playoff game looks like versus, you know, winning 45, 48 over 82?
2: I think that's what it's all about. To be honest, it's about getting more shooting into the starting lineup. OG is a superior three-point shooter, RJ Barrett, especially from the corners. He's a 44, 45% three-point shooter, basically every single season from the corners. And that's huge for the way they're going to use him on offense. They're going to keep him out there. The Knicks have... They're actually shooting pretty well percentage-wise this year from three, but they don't have a ton of guys who actually shoot the three that well. And when they have Barrett out there or they have Josh Hart out there and they have Isaiah Hartenstein and Julius Randle, there are just a lot of people who defenses feel comfortable helping off of. And now there's one less guy who defenses are going to feel comfortable helping off of. And defensively, he just completely changes their dynamic. The Knicks have been a big wing away from being – not a contender. They're certainly not a contender, but from being a step above where they've been for the last year and a half, they've been a big wing away from it for a little while. And I think they got even farther away from that earlier this year because their roster was basically a bunch of guards, Julius Randle, and some centers. And that was their rotation. And they needed that big wing, somebody who could shoot somebody who could guard, especially if you're going to build around a core of Randall and Brunson, both of whom you can take advantage of on the defensive end and Ananobi is just that perfect fit. It's why they went after him for so long. I mean, they, it's not like they woke up last week and were like, huh, wonder if OG Ananobi would fit. They, they've been after him for a long time. And and it finally ended up happening this weekend.
0: So in term, that's OG's on-court fit. And yeah, I've heard the same thing. This is something they've kicked around a framework of or different frameworks of for, for a little while now. Um, the fit is pretty exciting on the New York side. How do you think OGN and the character, is going to fit in New York with, with you guys around the Knicks beat? We saw so – like, obviously, we're very used to it here in Toronto, and he's grown as a quote, and a lot of us have learned uh, how to get more out of him as a quote. But it's also like it's a bit that he's, he's – like, he's aware of what he's doing, um, the deadpan humor, the, uh, like, very intentionally short answers at times. I have a lot of fun with it, especially because, like, you can get – good answers out of him as well. Um, How do you think he's going to fit from that perspective? It is yet to be seen. Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: You know, there, there, I have covered a lot of guys in my career who say nothing when you ask them, even the most specific, fantastic questions you could ever think of. And I've covered a lot of guys who say a whole ton of stuff. Even if you ask the worst question ever, you might just completely mess up, and they'll basically do your work for you. So, you know, whatever whatever I got in front of me, that's that's what I got. And uh, you know, what I what I care about more is that somebody just treats people res- with respect and and at least understands how how the dynamic is supposed to work from a professional standpoint. And that doesn't seem to be an issue. So I'm I'm good. I'm good regardless. I get to I get paid to watch basketball, man. Last thing I'm gonna do is gripe about a guy is saying that. Oh, He's I think it's a positive,
0: team, right? not a negative. Like I, I, this is a feature, not a bug, to me. Uh, that I, like, I find <laughs> it entertaining, and and uh, you know, I I got along with OG pretty well. So I think I think that's a feature, not a bug, especially for someone like you who is like built relationships with a Russell Westbrook in the past, uh, who is not has attempted to build relationships
2: yes. with a Russell Westbrook.
0: Yeah. Look, I think Russell, my read from afar is that Russell Westbrook was kind of like Kyle Lowry, where if it reached a point where he would try to dunk on you, that was a sign of respect begrudging maybe, but uh, he isn't picking out nobody to, uh, to have fun with. Yeah. Uh,
2: that's, that's how I feel about Alex Wong. Okay. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: that's, that's basically how I feel about him. Um, similar sort of dynamic.
0: Yeah, I yeah I could see that for sure. Uh, okay, begrudging
2: so respect, very begrudging.
0: Begrudging, yeah. I, I don't know if you bought a copy of his books, then you're uh, you've got the respect from him for sure. Uh, all right, Fred. So uh, there you go. Prehistoric uh, in stores now in paperback as well. We got so got it. Make sure you get it, uh, and Alex will sign yours uh, personally probably. I, Alex is writing in Chinese now for some of the uh, for some of the book signatures. Anyway, let's move on to uh, what is actually happening here. Um, okay, so that's the OG side of things. The Knicks also pick up Precious Achua in this deal. They lost Mitchell Robinson for the season. Jericho Sims is banged up, and, and when he's played, it's been a little up and down. You see a pretty clear role
2: for Precious Achua in New York. In some ways, yes, because he's going to stand in as the backup five. Mitchell Robinson is out for. Possibly the entire season. Isaiah Hartenstein is going to start. And the Knicks are really thin at backup. Jericho Sims had gotten some minutes, but he really struggled, especially when he had to go against starters. He just really got pushed around. Taj Gibson is there. You know, even Taj Gibson was joking about the fact that he was getting minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, Taj is, is there to be a locker room leader a cultural leader, maybe going for defense when they need him, but his purpose is not to be a 15 to 18 minute a game guy behind Hartenstein. So in some ways the fit is obvious. He comes in, he gets back up center minutes. He plays 15 minutes, 18 minutes, maybe on certain nights where they want to go a little bigger or they want to shake up rotations or somebody's in foul trouble or whatever. Maybe he ends up getting minutes at the four there. I could definitely see that being a possibility, In other ways, I think his role is a little bit more out there because conventionally, Knicks head coach Tom Thibodeau really prefers to have size in the middle. He builds his defenses from the paint out. That's like, that's not a habit. That is his ethos. That's his identity. He wakes up in the morning, and the first thing he thinks about is not coffee, it's rim protection. That's just (laughs) what he wants. It's what he needs. It's what he craves. That's what he breathes. It's everything. And so I'm getting so animated, I'm knocking my computer talking about Tibbs' obsession with the rim protection. And so with Achua, he's an undersized five. He's 6'8", and I'm wondering exactly how Tibbs is going to go about using him. I don't think his initial game against Minnesota is a great example of either what he's going to be like with the Knicks or how the Knicks are going to deploy him because Minnesota is so huge down low that – it Was just, just a bad matchup for him, whether he's got to guard Rudy Gobert or Carl Anthony Towns or Nas Reed. Like there's just so much size with that team. And you can't really use a switchability because you're not going to switch a small onto Gobert, who he guarded for a lot of that time. So it becomes difficult to see exactly what the vision will be for him. So I just kind of chalk that up as like, yeah, he didn't score in his debut. He played nine minutes. It's it's that's like his worst possible matchup in the league, potentially. I'm really curious to see how it moves going forward. I think it's very possible that Tibbs switches with him a lot more on defense than he does with his average center, because that's kind of his strength defensively, the ability to go out and guard other guys on the perimeter who aren't necessarily centers. Uh, I'm really curious to see how he uses him offensively in that second unit. Are they going to try to get out running with Ananobi, who's really good in transition and seems like he's going to be playing with the second unit, similarly to how he did with Toronto Josh Hart, who loves to get out running in transition as well. Are they going to use him as a screener? Are they going to let him initiate it at all? Are they going to let him handle, pass, whatever else? I I, I really wonder what the leash is going to be. Because as you know, Achua can have a moment where he just looks so good and then can have a moment where he just looks lost. And I'm curious to know what the leash is going to be. I'm curious to know what the schemes are going to be. What Tibbs really settles on as being the best ways to use him, and for now, I I am not a hundred percent sure, but I am very curious to watch him find out.
0: Yeah, it'll be a, a lot of fun to track, and certainly some runway here uh, to to carve out a role or earn some trust from Thibodeau. Um When we look at where this Knicks team is now, like, look, there's a there's a need for some scoring punch off the bench, but you know that's something that is not particularly expensive at the deadline if you if you're targeting a bench level player. Bigger picture, whether this is deadline or this offseason or just how the Knicks have, t- have operated wanting to keep the possibility of a big star open. This is a Knicks team that is at a pick surplus for the future. How important do you think it, it was for them to get this deal done? Yes, they lost quickly in Barrett. Those are, those are big assets. But to do this with only one second round pick going out, how important to getting this across the finish line do you think that was for the
2: Knicks? It's absolutely massive. And I'll say, it's not like the Knicks were thrilled to lose R.J. Barrett. It's not like they were thrilled to lose Emmanuel Quickly. The thing with Quickly was that he's an upcoming restricted free agent. They weren't able to come to agreement with him on a contract extension before this season. And the reality was, no matter how good they thought he was, he was in a role where he was playing 24 minutes a game. And it's really difficult to justify $25, $27 million a year to a 24-minute-a-game player. No matter what the talent level that you believe to be, and I personally think there is massive room for growth with him, I think we could easily see a huge breakout with him in Toronto. And As a matter of fact, not could easily see. That probably undersells it. I think a huge breakout for him with Toronto is probably the most likely scenario of what we end up seeing happening, considering how good he was basically every time he took the floor with the Knicks. But they weren't going to pay him. And they, they didn't want to pay him an exorbitant amount to come back because if he was going to back up Jalen Brunson, it just made roster building really difficult. And what the Knicks are is they are a team looking for a star to add to the mix, to add to Jalen Brunson, probably to Julius Randle, and now to OG Ananobi and Mitchell Robinson and the rest of the guys in that roster, Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo. And the fact that they retained all of their own first-round picks is so huge because now when somebody pops up, They're going to be able to offer up to four unprotected firsts if they want to, up to three unprotected swaps if they want to. And they own four other first-round picks from other teams. They're heavily protected. None of them are going to end up being the number one or the number four overall pick. They're too protected for that. But most, if not all of them, are going to convey, and they're all worth something. It's a Dallas pick that's late late first this year in all likelihood it's a milwaukee pick that's late first in 2025 in all likelihood it's a detroit pick that's heavily protected and detroit's not good but it's also protected until the sun is expected to expand and engulf earth and then (laughs) earth and then and then explode that's how long that pick is protected out until eventually there's a better chance than not that pick is going to convey and end up being the 11th pick or the 15th pick or whatever there's a a decent chance that these are coming over and these picks have value. They could still make a real offer, and they have Quentin Grimes to offer up in a trade. And if you throw Quentin Grimes, salary filler, up to four unprotected firsts, some swaps, some protecteds, that's a massive offer. That's a real offer. I don't care what kind of player we're talking about. That's a real offer for that player. And, And so if they can bring somebody in, I think that's obviously what has been their goal all along. And it's part of the reason why they want an Ananobi because he's one of the best players in the league. Who's just plug and play. You know, like when you talk about the best players in the league, Stephen Curry, for example, is obviously one of the greatest players of all time and not at the level of OG Ananobi, but you get Stephen Curry. He's going to change your ecosystem for good reason. You're going to change your offense to fit Stephen Curry. And Ananobi is one of the best players in the league who you can acquire who will help you on both sides of the ball and who you don't have to change your ecosystem to accommodate on either side of the ball. And that is so important when you're looking for another star, but having gotten that star, because whether that guy is another wing, whether that guy is another guard, whether that guy is a big, he's going to fit with Ananobi because he's just plug and play stylistically with everybody. He has all these accommodatable traits. And that's part of why they wanted him so badly because no matter who they go and get, they don't have to think, oh, well, we got OGN and OB, so it doesn't work.
0: So that's obviously, look, the Knicks side of this is, is pretty clear, right? They keep a lot of that draft capital together. OG, like you said, plug and play. We're all very fond of him here in Toronto. It's going to be a good fit, and it keeps the Knicks agile to make subsequent moves they did give up Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett. And like you said, they weren't exactly eager to give those guys up, but you got to trade something to get something. Um, We've done a lot of, of talk on the emergency show. And so far today about, you know, Emmanuel quickly's game and the upside there, RJ's game and maybe where he needs to, you know, massage around the margins to become the best version of RJ from a cultural and locker room and personality standpoint, even for the fan base side, what is Toronto and what are the Raptors getting in quickly and R.J. Barrett, the people?
2: Two hard workers, two high-character teammates, two well-liked guys. You know, Quickly was really like the fan favorite with the Knicks because he can be really fun to watch. He plays with such energy. And especially with the role that he was playing, he would come in and just infuse energy into the game. Now that he's starting in Toronto, it's a little bit of a different dynamic. But he's really become a really good two-way player. He was not a good defender his rookie year when he first came into the league. He was, he was smaller. He was skinnier. He wasn't as strong. He got pushed around. He gambled too much on defense, way too much. Went after passes left, you know, driving lanes vulnerable because of it. He was not the defender. He became really obsessed with Drew holiday. <laughs> he became really obsessed. With good Drew guy holiday. to be obsessed with. Great guy to be obsessed with. He's his favorite defender in the league to watch quick. Quick's favorite player overall to watch is Stephen Curry. But his favorite defender to watch is Drew Holiday. And his favorite, I'm going to put words in his mouth, and I'm going to say I feel like his favorite guy to really study is Drew Holiday because I've talked to him about Drew Holiday a number of times, and he notices all of these little ticks in Holiday's game defensively that he's added into his. And he's become this very dedicated, very smart team defender who uses his combination of... Pun intended, I guess, incredible quickness and pun intended again, really good IQ. And he is he is able to put together this fantastic mix where he's become such a good helper. He's become such a good rotator. He's become such a good signal caller. Mitchell Robinson, the next center, has joked to me before about how he has to tell Emmanuel quickly to stop talking so much on defense because he's the center <laughs> and it's his job. And he's making them look bad,
0: man. The Raptors need that though. Like that, that level of communication. We saw it on offense a little bit last night. Like he called a couple cuts out for Gary Trent jr. In, you know, situations, the Raptors don't normally cut, but it was available there. And you, you kind of felt it right away. The Raptors have needed that defensive communication so badly this year.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, look, what team couldn't like, you got to talk as much as you possibly can when you play. I, I think it was Kevin Garnett, right. Who, when Kevin Garnett would work out, when he would do cardio, on the treadmill, he looked like a crazy person because he would have his headphones in and he would sing as he ran, right? And when people asked him, why do you sing at the top of your lungs while you run? You're disturbing everybody. His answer was, Well, I'm training for basketball, not for a marathon. And in basketball, in my job, I have to constantly be talking. So why would I not be mimicking that when I'm when I'm running? It's honestly, it's I that has stuck with me for so long. It I think it's Genius. I think it's absolutely brilliant way to think about training for the game. Quickly is always talking. His mind is a tremendous trait for him. It's an incredible asset. And defensively, you don't really see his stuff on the ball in the way that you do a Marcus Smart type. He's he has put on weight. He is stronger. He does have good hands. He is handsy. He's not bad on the ball. He's he, he can be he can be good on the ball if you put him in the right assets and he's good getting around screens and all that kind of stuff. And he plays his behind off regardless of what position he's in. But sometimes he's just going to get muscled. That's just kind of who he is. But his best traits are as a team defender. The Knicks so rarely used him on the other team's best perimeter player. They like to keep him in the corner almost as a director, as a second set of eyes, as if he was like the, you know, he was like the quarterback of their defense in a lot of ways. And he's really good also at recognizing other teams' plays. I mean, there have been there have been times where he's just at the top of the key and there are like eight players behind him, you know, of his teammates and the other team. And he notices from an action, he sees at the top of the key, he's like, oh, okay, this is the play they're running. And he'll start calling out the play. Normally something that a guy in the back line will do because he's got the sight line to see everybody and notice it. But he's he's noticing it just from the top of the key, just from a way a guy is slanting or something because he's He's that studied. Uh, it, it, it's really important for a team defense. You look at the numbers; they all reflect it. Whenever he is in the game consistently, every single year now, the Knicks are just way better defensively, and it's it's just not a coincidence. And, and they're better offensively too. He's a very good player. And, and as for as for Barrett, for him. People talk about the shooting all the time. He's got the inconsistent jump shot, and he's been in a slump for the last month and a half after getting off to a really, really good start and having a really good playoff run for them. And the thing with Barrett is just, to me, it's never been about the jump shot. It's it's about the decision-making. Because once that decision-making gets better, the efficiency will get better too. He'll hit the lane, he'll notice those three guys around him, and he'll kick out to the corner three-point shooter every time. As opposed to only doing it sometimes and then throwing up a bad shot out of a triple team every once in a while, he's going to eliminate those bad shots as the decision making gets better. And to me, that would be the biggest step for him, just getting that up there because he's so strong and his ability to get to the paint basically whenever he wants is such a tremendous asset for him. And it's something that he can really rely on as long as he makes the best decisions while he gets there. And he's been good defensively this year for the Knicks, too. After having a down defensive year last year, he's, he's really brought his defensive game back up, I think. And that's something also that I think will help the Raptors as well.
0: Yeah, it, it has to because they're losing the best individual defender in this trade and they weren't a particularly good defense to begin with this year. So uh, that's going to have to be kind of everyone chipping in by being a little better. Uh, Fred, before I let you go here, Alex and Will did have a question for you and they would like you to explain how. Look, there are Raptors fans who in my mentions sometimes get frustrated that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster speak basically trade deadline, end of season, draft, maybe once at Summer League and then start of season press conference. Leon Rose, the president of the New York Knicks, has not spoken to media since, I think, early 2021. How, how is this still going on?
2: If I knew, I'd get an interview <laughs> if I knew the answer to that question. How's it going on? Uh, it's not normal. Uh, it, it's going on because there is no technical rule in the league that says that it can't go on. And the Knicks would like it to continue. You know, I've, I I put all I can do is put in requests for interviews and see them denied, and that's about it. I would love to talk to Leon Rose. I would love to ask him about a million questions that I've been wondering about this team over the last three years. Uh, not just Leon Rose, anyone in their front office. <laughs> uh, you know, not, no one in their front office has done an interview in in. Uh, About three years now, and and no one has done a solo interview in their front office. No one has done like a solo press conference of just that person up there holding a press conference ever since the front office took over in, in April of 2020, almost four years ago. So they've never really had a real press conference since taking over with independent media. Obviously, I think that's important because it gives you an opportunity to talk to the fans. And like, I'm a huge Yankee fan. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, Blue Jays fans who are listening. I'm from New York. It's just what I am. You have to deal with it. Whatever. Juan I mean, Soto's
0: yeah, gonna yeah. leave for Toronto next offseason. Whatever.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, he's not on a flight to Toronto right now. Yeah, he's so I can guarantee isn't. that to you right now. Uh, but you know, if Brian Cashman never spoke, I would just It would upset me just because i'm a huge yankee fan i'd want to hear about the plans and i'd want to hear about what was going on with the team and and to me it's the media's job to remember that we're just a conduit but it's also on the media and this is a thing that i think about a lot to um find ways to tell the story even if it's not being handed to you so if we're presented with walls all the time and we have two options we can sprint into them and try to barrel through them which often lends us with a ginormous headache, or we can go look for a ladder. So I spend a very large amount of my time looking for ladders and trying not to complain because let's be real, nobody gives a crap about my job being more difficult or more frustrating. They just want to see fun, cool Nick stories. So that's what I spend my time trying to do. And uh, I'm I'm just a ladder searcher. That's all I am, Blake. I'm a ladder searcher and I'm a begrudgingly trustful Alex Wong
0: book buyer. Absolutely. I mean, hey, at least one of those things is working out because Prehistoric is such a tremendous book. I don't know about the latter searching. Who knows? Maybe instead of Leon Rose, you you can get Sam Rose, who is uh, his son, an OG and an obese agent. Um, funny how that all clicks into place with Jalen Brunson and, and a bunch of other <laughs> New York Knicks as well. Uh, that is probably a discussion for a different time or book, probably. Uh, Fred Katz of The Athletic, of the Cats and Shoot podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time out, uh, both as host having me on earlier and as guest with us today
2: yes well thank you for having me and uh, by prehistoric it's it's just a it's a hell of a read and Alex needs it he's totally broke so he could really use the support
0: (laughs) I will not tell him you said that part I'm sure he's not listening Uh, Fred Katz thanks so much buddy that was Fred Katz of The Athletic. Uh, make sure you check out The Athletic for all of the Knicks side of things. Uh, he had a couple good pieces up, including OG on OG Ananobi's debut, as well as a piece with Eric Kareen, uh right when the trade happened, kind of going deeper on Emmanuel Quigley and RJ Barrett, their potential fits, what they need to do to take the next step uh, in their individual games. He also hosts the Cats and Shoot podcast, which I was on earlier today, uh, kind of just roles reversed there, which has made it uh, for kind of a fun day. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll tag William Liu back in from Montreal uh, to round this thing out. Some final thoughts on the debuts of those players, a look ahead at this six-game road trip, uh, and maybe learn a little bit about uh, Emmanuel quickly and we'll lose content plans for him. Uh, all that's next as the the show continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. I'm Blake Murphy, your usual host, William Liu. Joins us once again now from Montreal, Uh, Will. We just spoke to, well, Michael Grange a little earlier and Fred Katz for the Knicks side of things. Um, Seems like we're getting a, a pretty good pair of guys to cover in terms of their, how how much they like to talk to media, Emmanuel quickly, particularly on the X's and O's side. Um, When you hear, and I don't know how much of that Fred Katz interview you caught, but one of the ways Emmanuel quickly has been able to improve defensively. And I mean, he, Fred was also talking about what a great communicator he is, which obviously has been missing on this team a little bit. But when you hear that a point guard has helped himself get better by studying drew holiday, like obsessively, what does that tell you?
1: Oh yeah. I mean that tells me his head's in the right place. Um because as far as point guard defenders would go, um, Drew is the one that you will go to. It, it, now I think the difficult thing is Drew Holiday is like ridiculously strong as a guard. Um and so I, I think in that sense, uh I don't know if quickly it can replicate exactly the way Drew Holiday defends, but I mean at the same time, like, yeah, fundamentals wise, um, you know that is definitely somebody that you know you would want to see, and I think that's probably one of the more underrated aspects of the deal is sort of getting back a pretty strong defender as well. Um, there's been a lot of focus on what the Raptors need offensively from him, and um, that's where most of the excitement has been. But yeah, we're, we're getting a two way player here. Um, so yeah, no, it's great, it's great. You know, it's like if I told you I was studying like I don't know, Zach Lowe tape <laughs> as a podcaster, you, you would feel pretty good as a listener.
0: Look, there are like 50 of us in the blogosphere i guess i'm not in the blogosphere anymore but there is like just like there was a wave of people who obviously read a lot of bill simmons there's a big wave of uh-huh. people who obviously read a lot of uh, a lot of zach lowe too so that's uh you can find that out there uh the other thing we learned about emmanuel quickly via the raptors uh, excellent get to know you social teams is that um his favorite food is chinese food that's a little bit of a mm-hmm. vague answer um and for anyone i'm going to reveal something about will here He refers to himself in the planning doc in the third person. Um, uh, So no, 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 no. This, this to be clear, this Alex put this one in. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, Anyway. So, so are we going to try to target Emmanuel quickly as the new Yuta Watanabe? Like, like this is who you're going to try to break bread with for content? Uh absolutely. Um I have uh lots of Chinese restaurants
1: in mind in, in the GTA. It's one of the best things about living here. I mean he's he is also coming from New York, so uh the competition is quite high. Yeah. But uh yeah, let let's let's make that happen. But uh yeah, salute to salute to Emmanuel, man. Uh, clearly a very bright guy.
0: Yeah, he seems like he's, uh, he's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so we talked about the debuts and some of the fit here. Um, look, we could go deep on, on quickly and RJ some more, what they need to do developmentally to take the next step. Uh, we could see if we could fit that in, but we can maybe do that tomorrow as well. Um, I, I think one, one of the questions I've received most on Twitter after this trade, obviously there's the excitement of the trade, I write a bajillion words about. Here's what the cap situation looks like. Here's what the cap situation looks like if Pascal goes. If Pascal stays, etc. Uh, a lot of people quickly move to okay. What's next? Um, this is, we've had a couple of days for this to, to settle in. Now, do you have a, a lean on which way you think the rest of the, like these next five weeks are going to go? Like, do you does this deal? push you in either direction in terms of what you think might happen or, or, or even what you'd prefer to happen from here? Um, I think honestly what I prefer to see happen
1: is for Pascal to sign an extension with the Raptors and we play out the rest of the season and look at what this group looks like. I think that's probably what's going to happen regardless in the next month or so is um, that Masai gives this at least interim group uh, a chance to sort of breathe. It reminds me a little bit Of when the Raptors made the first trade back in the day for Rudy Gay, traded away Rudy Gay, and they're ready to move out Kyle Lowry in the next move. Uh, But, you know, obviously the the Knicks, whatever Knicks that, and also the Raptors kind of saw that the group really found some momentum and kept going. That group was also six games under 500 um, at that time of the trade. So, you know, the Raptors are coming out of a similar hole, I suppose, but... I mean, look, ultimately the front office probably won't move in that fashion. I think that if they have decided to make these kind of trades, you know, these things don't just happen in a very short time frame. They don't move in a reactionary way. I think they move much more decisively. Um, but my personal preference would be to see how this group looks, because I, I, I rather enjoyed watching the Raptors offense last night. And I don't think I've said that very often in the last couple of years. I I've I've seen great defensive performances from the Raptors great creativity on that front but offensively I really liked the way it, it looked and so um you know that's my own personal preference but my, my like I, I think my suspicion is still that uh, they will continue to solicit trade offers and um, make a decision that you know benefits the team long term.
0: Uh, okay. Yeah. And I think so. And part of why you'd look at these next five weeks is look, I know some people might not like the like, Oh, well, well, we're waiting to to see because Pascal Siakam has been here as long as he is and you know who he is and what the market for him is. Um, however, you might also want to learn more about these other guys. And, and maybe this is the most important piece. If even if you say are a person who wants to trade Pascal Siakam by the deadline or wants to extend him with the idea of trading him in, in the future, figuring out, what type of player fits best with quickly Barnes, even RJ to, to the amount that you're, you're factoring that in um, could be pretty important too. Now we can judge on paper what that would probably look like, um, but you might be able to see, Oh yeah, this is missing or, or this would fit really well with that. Um, what, what is, what strikes you there? Will? if you look at what we saw the other night and what this starting five now with Dennis and Gary off the bench look like, um, what strikes you as something that, this team could still use and could maybe address via trade at the, at the trade deadline. Obviously you're not going to fix the entire long-term picture in one deadline, but if you look at what's here now and what went out, um, you know, what, what would be the next kind of thing you target? Because we all kind of thought like I'll quickly type some sort of guard who could mm-hmm. take some of the responsibility, off of Scotty's shoulders as needed. Get into the paint a little bit. Add some three-point shooting. Um, what what would the next kind of ripple be if you're if you're building out this Barnes quickly core? Do you think?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think for me, I would love to still see uh, a floor spacing five as an option. Um, I think that uh, that's something where you know it's obviously not going to be cheap. It's obviously difficult to find you know players who protect the rim and also space the floor well. Um, but you know, ideally it would love to see in that direction. Even to have a small ball five option, you know, like I, I suppose that we kind of had that with like Thad Young or Chris Boucher coming off the bench, but we know neither of those guys are really true answers at center. Um, they have their qualities, but just not as a center. So I think that's a pretty clear weakness. Obviously, that's what you traded away. Precious, like precious is supposed to be that for you. You ultimately have to get rid of him to to make this deal happen. So I I think, you know, you would want to see that. I would love to see some more defensively oriented kind of like uh, um, perimeter players. It's just sort of like, at least as backups, just to sort of spell uh, quickly or spell um, even Dennis. I I just feel like there is a bit of defensive weakness now on on the roster, not just now.
0: (laughs) Now, just now. Well,
1: I mean, I feel like before it was a lack of togetherness and a lack of execution. And now it's like, okay, personnel wise, we're actually a little bit short. Which is like, I mean, yeah, you just traded away OG and Precious. So, like, you're kind of looking to replace some of what they did. Um, And it's difficult to see how they do that. Maybe they use Gary and turn that into, like, another two pieces in the rotation. I mean, if they could do something like that, I would be interested. But I also think at the same time, you have to allow at least some room for some of the younger guys to step in there. Because, um, obviously, down the line, Grady will be a factor. Grady Dick will be a factor into the rotation. Right now, he's clearly not. Um, But in this next season going forward, hopefully he will be. And then even a Christian Coloco, which is like, look, if you want uh, us at least a rim protecting five, which I think the second unit could really use right now. Ideally, a guy like Christian could really fit that. But we have actually no idea in terms of when he's going to be able to come back, if he's able to come back anytime soon. So, uh, you know, I guess you have to have clarity there. But I also do think that you have to keep those kind of spots in mind, that you're not just completely blocking off these two other prospects. That you hopefully will, you know, have be part of your team long term. So um, yeah, that's it's it's a lot. I mean, obviously the biggest question is whether they're gonna move Pascal or not, but I'm sure you already discussed that. So.
0: so we've got uh like nine minutes left in the show. So let's do a couple quick hitters then. You mentioned the backup center position. I had informed people a little earlier, Jonte Porter's on the trip. He's gonna be on mm. the six game road trip. They're gonna use some of his active days. Um the Raptors have used their two ways so so infrequently that you're basically fine. You could use all three of them the rest of the way and you'll be mostly fine. So it's it's not a big deal uh with regards to that. Um we've seen Jonte Porter with the nine oh five. He's been active twice for the Raptors, hasn't got into a game. Is that something you'd like to see instead of going to the Thad minutes or, you know, they even played a couple yesterday where I don't know, whether you call Boucher the five or the four, they they were just playing without a center. Um would you like to see Jonte get a look? Yeah, I, I don't mind. I mean I think
1: um, like the two minutes that we thought of Thad yesterday. And it was literally two minutes. Well, what a shift that was. But like, I just think that there's not as much upside there because you know that defensively teams look at that young and they go straight to the basket. And I don't even blame Thad for that. Like he's never been a center in his career. Um, You know, he's always been six foot eight. And now he's like, you know, at the tail end of it. So uh, realistically, that's not a rim protector. Um, Jante has pretty good block numbers throughout the G league. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, you could maybe try it out there just to see what you got. Um, he also brings an element of floor spacing as a big, which, you know, you would ideally like to see biggest thing with him is just as you've, you know, you've literally talked to him, uh, directly, which was a great interview a couple weeks back, you know, he's had an injury history, um, uh, which at one point even for him, he contemplated to end his career at a very early age. Luckily, he stuck it out, and now he's back in this position where he's on the cusp of making, you know, the league again uh, full-time. So you might as well see what you got. And, um, yeah, I think you give at least a little bit of that opportunity. Um, You know, I think the other thing, too, is just, like, I would love to see, like, more deals made uh, to get more and more prospects. So I thought, like, one of the nice things is you turn OG into two playable starters, good starters, now, all of a sudden, I want to see just even more of that for the second unit. You know what I mean? Like, it felt like, I mean, the last couple of years, Nick Nurse was playing like a six, seven-man rotation sometimes. Even we yesterday, that was eight, eight
0: man and Boucher only played 11 minutes. Yeah, exactly. So what do you have to lose to 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 see what you got in the guy? That's already in-house. Um, So one of the guys we thought would maybe be a part of that, and he is not on this trip, he switched spots with Jonte Porter, is Grady Dick. Uh, they mm-hmm. revealed yesterday that Grady's kind of been – Hey, for a couple weeks here, don't worry about playing spot minutes for the Raptors. Don't worry about nine Oh five. Let's, let's focus on your on court work, your body work, your conditioning work, and then we'll get you back in games. um, And, and, you know, hope you can find a a better level than you did before. He's not on this trip. He's going to stay back with nine Oh five. They've got two games this week in college park. They've got two games next week at home. So he could possibly get into four games before the Raptors are back off the six game road trip. Um, When you saw that yesterday, what is your reaction to that what, what do you think obviously we don't have a lot of detail on what the actual activities he's doing are but a guy who 6 months after being drafted is kind of being go going being pulled out of action and going into a redo of the off-season program it kind of sounds like what what do you make of that Um I think it's just
1: an acknowledgement of where he is I, I don't think we should have too many expectations of what he can contribute this season. Um, and then we can also separate that idea from what he might do long term. But, you know, I did go back after this decision was made. I, I went back to listen to Bobby Webster's words after the, the, the draft, the night of when he selected Grady 13th overall. And Bobby was asked about, you know, do you expect Grady to come in and, and contribute at certain times? And his quotes were, we hope that he can come in off the bench, make some shots and not make too many mistakes and that the coaches trust him. We do have expectations that he can probably come in. Now, of course, that's not like a hard commitment by any means. It wasn't like he's going to start from day one. But I did think that the front office felt like there was a level of preparedness uh, in terms of ready to go for, for a guy like Grady. What we have seen in summer league, what we saw in preseason, what we saw over the short stints that he came into this year, whether that was in with the Raptors or with the Raptors 905, There's clearly more things for him to sort of work on. I mean, you know, you and I are are true sickos in that we go to the game three hours beforehand and watch all the warmups. And I've described this already, but Grady's warmup is different than most other guys. A lot of guys come in, they do their set shots, they do their corner threes, they practice a couple driving layups, and then they shoot some free throws and they wrap it up. Um, For Grady, he comes out super early and he's always out there with like two or three assistants. And they're working on things that are fairly rudimentary, like dribbling. Um, making the right, making passes, like practicing, making the same jump pass, um, practicing closeout drills, um, you know, in addition to the usual shooting. So I think that what that points to is that they feel like this is going to be a longer term developmental thing. And honestly, for Grady, you know, at least right now, there isn't like an immediate pressure for him to play. Now that you have more uh, depth in the backcourt all of a sudden, you know, there isn't as much of a pressure for him to immediately contribute. So hopefully he's able to reset. I think one thing for me, you know, just being around the arena is you see his parents around a lot. Like his his parents have been with him, you know, for a decent amount of time in his rookie season. And, you know, to me, that just hammers in the idea that he's really, really young. Like, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I just don't think that, you know. Their initial assessment, at least what Bobby said about him probably coming in after draft night, you know, I don't think that's being fulfilled, but that doesn't necessarily mean that long term, uh, you know, it can happen. But, uh, yeah, for him too, it's just obviously struck. I think there's a struggle with the the NBA range too, which especially him coming in as a three point shooter, um, yeah, I mean, if he can't shoot the three, then he's not going to have a career, basically. So he's going to need to adapt to that. Anyway, whatever time he needs to develop, that's fine. I don't think that there's any immediate need to, uh, to play him. And the more that
0: he gets 905 action, the better. Uh, two of those games, by the way, going to come head to head against Kobe Bufkin, who's back now and looking pretty good in the G league. So uh, I'm sure everyone will react uh, completely rationally uh, to those uh, games. Will we'll talk about this more tomorrow as we tee up the Grizzlies game. And please make sure you find the Raptor show, wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, rate review. Thanks again to Will for hopping on to Michael Grange for joining us to Fred Katz of the athletic and the cats and shoot podcast to producer and co-host Alex Wong. Feel better, buddy. Uh, My name is in the rundown as well, so thanks to me. Thanks to Andrew Adams filling in for Derek Brandeo, to Jennifer Rolnick, David Siss, and J.R. Manitad for helping us behind the scenes. We will be back to talk to you guys tomorrow, break down more of these new fits, talk to Mark Stein, talk to Steve Jones, and more. Uh, Have a great Tuesday, and happy new year.